Okay. I am so excited for this next part of our service. And as I introduce this series, I want to say good morning now to our friends in the Grundy County campus. Hi, guys. And our friends in our Waverly campus. Hi, everybody. I want all of you guys in the room to know that at this point now, we are uh, all experiencing this part of the service as one body this morning, Orchard Hill Church, Cedar Falls, Grundy County, and Waverly, which I think is just fabulous. So the Bible, if you've spent any time in it, you know that it's filled with stories of real life people who encounter and follow, uh, follow God, you know, in the Old Testament, or encounter and follow Jesus in the New Testament, and they experience life change. Things happen in their life. And in the early church, you know, before, before all of this, it was common for people in these small house churches to stand up when they gathered together and share a story, a testimony like this first song that we sang, about what Jesus was doing in their lives. And that is why we do this once a year as a church at Orchard Hill. Because we want to be a church that takes our masks off and that encourages people to be real and honest about what is going on in their lives, both the hard parts, the broken parts, and the parts where Jesus comes in and touches us and makes us whole. And we believe that sharing stories at, of God at work is a part of blessing a broken world, which is, you know, part of our mission. It's a, a blessing both for the teller of the story and, and for those who listen and receive the story. It honors the work that God is doing in everyone's lives. And then it frees us up, I hope it wakes us up to look for Jesus' active presence in our own lives. And so we hope that these next three weeks, that these stories of hope and courage and power remind all of us of how God is chasing after us, of how God is fighting for us till we're found when we feel lost or abandoned, and about how God is constantly loving us and transforming us. So, I have the great privilege of introducing my friend, Randy Skolton. Randy, come on up. Randy is on staff here at Orchard. For any of you who put your kids in Children's Men, you recognize Randy. Um, she loves and she ministers to your kiddos so well. Um, Randy's married to Jesse, and they have four amazing kids. And Randy has courageously agreed to share her story of God at work in her very real life. So I want you guys to be nice. Make your nice <laughs> eyes. I know that you're smiling, but, uh, you know, do your thing. Um, and so I invite you to listen this morning and have your faith bolstered as you hear how God has impacted Randy's life for good. You ready? Ready. All right. Okay. I'll get the stool. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I am enough. A little over two years ago, I got my first tattoo. And this is what it said, those three words. In my mid-40s, I finally not only realized 
but I truly believed that I am enough. I spent much of my life, as many of us do, feeling as if I did not measure up, will never measure up, and will never be enough. Enough as a daughter, sister, friend, coworker, and eventually as a wife, a mother, and most importantly, a child of God. I know this is not true, not for me, and most certainly not for you. We are all enough. We are exactly who God created us to be in his image, and that is more than enough. I, Randy Lynn Skolton, was born on October 13, 1974, in Quincy, Illinois, the second of two children to Ricky Joe Riggs and Robin Lynn Riggs. I was the younger sister to Rich, who was then two when I was born. And this is a picture of me and my brother. <laughs> my parents divorced when I was very young, perhaps at the age of three. I have very few, if any, childhood memories of my dad. While he lived in the same town as me most of my school age years, we saw him very rarely and spent very little time with him. Outside of the occasional Christmas Eve at our grandparents, his parents' house. He eventually remarried, adopted his wife's daughter, and they relo excuse me, relocated to Florida. I quite honestly cannot recall the last time I saw him, and sadly he passed away in 1999 when I was pregnant with my second child. My mom remarried Eric, who also had two kids from his first marriage, very similar in age to me and my brother. At the age of five, my mom and Eric had my sister, Angela. So there we were, a very messy, blended family of seven. All you me messy, blended families, I see you. What I recollect most from these early years was we moved often. In fact, from Head Start, which is pre-K here, through third grade, I was in four different schools. Imagine that. We were the new kids almost every single year. This resulted in me being bullied horribly in third grade. I remember having my mom write notes to school so I didn't have to go outside at recess because I was too afraid. Although I'm certain I never spoke those words to her. Our last time moving was when I was going into fourth grade. I would be dishonest if I said those first 10 to 12 years of my mom and stepdad together was easy. It was at times extremely difficult, especially for a young child who felt unsafe, unwanted, and out of place most of the time. I believe my mom did the best she could based on the circumstances, and I coped the best I knew how. While it was challenging, it was not always hard. We did normal family things, went on family vacations, were involved in sports and activities, and dinner was on the table every night at 5.30, non-negotiable. My stepdad did invest in my brothers, coaching their baseball team, and my parents did not miss any of our events. They provided the things we needed and many things we wanted. I think like many families, ours seemed put together and normal on the outside, 
but less than perfect inside. I am deeply grateful for all the good things, not resentful or angry for the hard, but I am still working on the me that came out of all of that. Through these years, one of the amazing ways God was working in my life was through my grandparents. My brother and I spent quite a bit of time with my dad's parents, my grandma and grandpa Riggs, or Grumpy, as we called him. Uh, This is my grandparents. This is circa, I think, 1949. So uh, it was if my mom shared custody with them, although that really wasn't the case. Grumpy was one man I loved deeply and with whom I always felt safe. He was the next best thing to my actual dad. My grandma, there really are no words to describe how amazing that woman is. She is literally one of the best humans that I know. We never missed a family birthday, holiday, or family reunion with them. We would often spend evenings after school and weekends at their house, which I absolutely just loved. My grandparents were not deep people of faith, but God used them to show two kids that they were loved so deeply, and we needed that. And I don't even think my grandparents realized what they were doing. They simply provided us a space where we knew we were loved, accepted, and safe. Grandparents, the role you play in the lives of your grandchildren is powerful. Please do not underestimate your impact. You get to show them how valued they are and that they are enough. During my junior high years, I began to find my voice and even more so in high school. Up to this point, I was rather quiet and shy and not extroverted at all. And I know those in this space that know me, hard to believe that opinionated me was quiet. But I promise you, it's really true. Things began to change in eighth grade when I decided to give cheerleading a try at the urging of my friends. This was my first and only year as a cheerleader. Uh, I found that dance team was more my thing. Eighth grade was also the year I started my faith journey. I began attending Wednesday night youth groups at, or, excuse me, at Payson Road Christian Church with friends. This eventually led to normal Sunday morning attendance, and along the way, my family began to attend as well. Later that year, I said yes to my first mission trip and was baptized just before going. We spent a little under two weeks in Nassau, Bahamas, at a small church conducting VBS. This is when I memorized my first Bible verse, Philippians 2.14, do all things without arguing or complaining. This verse actually became our family verse and still is today. We used to leave on road trips and I'd yell in the car, Philippians 2.14 is officially enacted. That meant I don't want to hear any arguing or complaining. Parents, you get this. Junior high and high school ministry impacted me greatly and was a starting point for not only me, but my entire family. After high school, I stayed in my hometown. I worked, went to college. I eventually, at the age of 23, got married to my first husband. We were married almost 10 years and have two amazing children. 
On March 19, 1998, Avery Lynn Anderson made me a mama for the first time. And what a joy that has been, and still is today, despite our hard years. Two years later, we welcomed Parker Thomas Anderson to the world, and, well, our lives have never been the same. <laughs> and this is Parker and Avery. I'm sure they appreciate that picture. <laughs> Raising these two, wow, have I learned a ton, but mostly how different God creates each of us. They are both super sassy, extremely funny, and different as different can be, and I wouldn't have it any other way. During those 10 years of marriage, we moved often due to my husband's job, and we landed in Cedar Falls in 2003. In the past 18 years, we have lived in two houses, and my kids were always at the same school. This brings me a ton of joy considering my own childhood circumstances. I knew how hard it was to move and change schools. Three years after moving here, I found myself in a place I never thought I would be. In fact, I wasn't even sure how I got there. After almost 10 years, my first marriage ended. This was and still is the hardest and darkest time of my life. In the midst of that, someone I looked up to and admired for their deep faith and trusted called and spoke these cruel words to me. He said, Rindy, you know, I look at divorced people differently than other Christ followers. What I heard was, Rindy, you are not enough. You are not enough and will never be enough in the kingdom of God. I was already heartbroken over my divorce, and this statement broke my heart all the more. Friends, I cannot express to you how deeply wrong that is. Because here's the thing. I know God hates divorce. But I also know that God loves divorced people. I know God hates divorce. But God loves divorced people. So if this is you sitting here or watching, please hear me. You are loved and you are enough in the kingdom of God. In fact, you are more than enough. Although this was such a hard, dark time for me, I began to renew my relationship with Jesus. I meditated on and prayed this verse, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, literally, it was my mantra day in and day out. It reminded me that I had the courage and the strength to get through this, and God would carry me. I walked back into church for the first time in many years at the invitation of my then hairdresser, my hairdresser people. We often say here at Orchard that an invitation matters, and it does. Whatever it is that you do, if you're a barista, a teacher, a waiter, a server, an executive, whatever it is, use it to point people to Jesus. That simple invitation is sometimes all someone needs. It matters and is exactly what I needed in that moment. 
I walked into Orchard for the first time on Christmas Eve 2006. I sat in the back row by myself and literally cried the whole time. This was almost exactly two weeks before my divorce was to be final, and I felt utterly isolated and alone. The poor guy sitting next to me had to think I was crazy. Whoever that person was kindly handed me a Kleenex and just looked at me with kind, accepting eyes. I knew in that moment I was exactly where I belonged. That individual did not know me or anything about me, but knew I was deeply hurting. He did not look at me with pity, but a look of understanding, a look that said, sister, I see you, and I see your pain. A simple act of kindness, so simple, but so meaningful. Aren't we all capable of this? Coming to church on a Sunday morning, letting the stranger sitting next to us know they are seen, they are loved, they are accepted here, and they are more than enough. As a single mom of two kids, I had to start working on me, fixing me from the inside out. I started my journey with Jesus by reconciling my own brokenness and sin, and what a journey it has been and will continue to be. Looking inward is hard. Seeing yourself for who you really are can be difficult, yet very healing. Seeing myself as God sees me, I am worthy and I am enough. I still had a long way to go. Proverbs 16, 9, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We can think we know our future or can plan it pretty well, but the Lord knows exactly what you need and when you need it. He brought this amazing man into my life to whom I have now been married for 13 years. Jesse has changed my life, folks. I am crazy about him. Even after 13 years, I am still crazy about him. But here's what you should know. This has not always been easy. It took me almost seven years, seven years to fully trust this man. You see, not trusting people is my comfort zone. I see you. I spent my entire life up to this point only allowing people so far into my world. It is easier that way. Because when they hurt or disappoint me, it minimizes the blow. I can then just brush it off and move on. No harm, no foul. That was my wall and sometimes still is. Trust is not my strong suit. This man, though, he pursued me, pursued me, and still relentlessly pursues me. Just as the Lord pursues and pursues a relationship with us in my finest moments and even harder in my ugly ones. God was making sure I knew Jesse was never going to disappoint me, let me down, or love me any less no matter the circumstances. Finally, after seven years, maybe eight, I knew 
all of me, every single ounce of me was safe with this man. Married people, healing takes time. It is okay. Be patient and please continue to pursue one another. We eventually added two more crazy kids to this messy family. Regan J. Skolton and two years later, Taylor Emery finished out our crew. Once again, I'm sure they appreciate this picture. These 13 years have been incredible, hard, challenging, beautiful. They have been the best years of my life. We continue to learn so much day after day, raising our kids, keeping our marriage spicy. And seriously, some days we're just trying to survive and keep humans alive. It has not been perfect and not always easy. In fact, quite the opposite. But darn, is it worth it. Thank you, kiddos, for being on this journey with me. You are deeply loved, fully accepted, can do anything, and you are more than enough. Parents, this is a hard gig. You are doing great. You matter in your hard work to show your kids that they are more than enough matters. You're going to mess them up a little, maybe a lot, but it's okay. I promise there is light on the other side as long as they know they are enough in your eyes and God's eyes. It takes a village, and I know this firsthand, this church and so many of you have impacted me greatly. This church, because you accepted me, you poured into me, loved me, and most importantly, you loved my kids. Some of you, Jeff and Cindy, Tensons, Student Ministries, you loved my kid when I had no idea how to respond in love. And for that, I'm eternally grateful. Lean in, parents. You are not in this alone. Another big transition in my life revolves around God having plans for me that I could have never predicted. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. When our youngest was around three, we were kind of sort of in this transition phase in our family. I was 40-ish and simply unsure of where I was headed. Mostly, what is it that I wanted to be when I grow up? I think some of you, you know, maybe can feel this way. I was finishing my accounting degree, yet still unsure what I wanted to do with that. Sitting at our table one night for dinner, that little three-year-old randomly looked up looked at me and said, Mom, you know, God has a plan for you. To which my husband responded, see, even she gets it. <laughs> my eyes filled with tears because God just showed up. Showed up in this wild and crazy kiddo who was clearly paying attention in kids' ministry. Kids' ministry, I think you're amazing, although I'm a little biased. While God used this kiddo to finally get me to listen I had felt his promptings for so long. Promptings to take action, to get uncomfortable, and do something bold. Something I felt utterly unqualified to do. I felt prompted to apply for a position of director of kids' ministry here at Orchard Hill Church. And well, 
Here I am, almost six years later, working here at Orchard, in that position, and I love it. I've had the deepest pleasure of working in kids' ministry with the most gifted group of people that I know, and they make me look far better than I really am. While we've had our challenges, it has been a beautiful ride, and this is exactly where I belong. God wasn't quite finished making me uncomfortable. Shortly after starting here at Orchard, Carter Moore reached out and asked if I would prayerfully consider joining them as a leader on a spring break mission trip to Knockpatrick, Jamaica. Instantly in my head, I was screaming, yes, because this is something I had wanted to do again for quite some time. But full confession, let me first say, college-age people, I think you're amazing. Like, I love you. But the truth is, at that time, I did not understand college ministry and why Orchard invested so heavily in it. I mean, I simply could not understand. College students are broke. What in the world do they have to give back to us? Why were we investing so much in them as a church? It made no sense to me. I was so wrong. God knew exactly what he was doing. That mission trip to Jamaica was transformational. It changed how I saw college ministry, how I saw my faith journey, how I saw myself as a leader, how I saw the people of Jamaica. It just changed everything. Orchard Hill Church's investment in college students was and never has been about dollars. It has been about what you amazing college-age people teach all of us. Do you know that in almost every ministry in this church, it has a college student or college-age person investing in it? I mean, think about that for a moment. It's mind-blowing to me. Every ministry. You, my college-age friends, you are more than enough. You are going to do amazing things in this world in the name of Jesus. Through all of this, one thing has been a constant, not only for me, but my husband as well, small groups and marriage stuff. Yes, I initially had to bring him kicking and screaming, but now it is our icing on the cake. Jesse and I have been leading small groups as long as I can remember, mostly on parenting and marriage. Leading does not mean we are experts, that we know everything and are perfect. It's quite the opposite, actually. That is the thing about being in community with people. Your imperfect self and your imperfect life gets to sit with other imperfect people in their imperfect lives and just be imperfect together. Imperfectly loved, imperfectly accepted, imperfectly encouraged, and imperfectly lifted up. All perfectly the way God intends his people to just love each other in our imperfectness. And even in our imperfection, we are more than enough. Being a part of these groups has allowed us to be real about our life and how messy it can be at times, sometimes far more than we want to admit. As parents, wow, have we messed up a time or two, maybe a little more. But goodness, it is still my favorite job. It took a community to get us where we are. 
As married people, we fight unfairly. We use honesty as a way to disguise being mean and love one another fiercely. As I said, I do not allow people into my world that often, but our closest friends have come from these groups. For those of you who have been in these groups with us, I am deeply grateful for your honesty, your authenticity, and holding me, us, accountable. We are just normal people doing life together, and I have learned sometimes you got to let people in. With all that, my deepest gratitude is that God is not done with me yet. These past two years have been hard for reasons I'm not quite sure how to put into words, but huge in terms of growth and spiritual maturity. For example, I'm standing here doing what I said I was never going to do. Never. Darn you, Jeff Mickey, for challenging me to get all personal and stuff with people. I'm intentional with getting curious about how others feel and what they think while trying to offer no opinion or thought. I'm trying to let humility and kindness lead the way, working to give up control that I've held so tightly to for so long and learning to trust people with the hard, imperfect version of me. I refuse to be in relationships where I'm required to be someone I no longer am and really never was. I choose to surround myself with people who do not define me by my past, but see me as God sees me. Because in the end, what God thinks is far more important than what others think. And he thinks I am more than enough. And that is really, in the end, all that counts. The narrative in my head is changing, in part because I decided I needed to quit outrunning myself and sit in silence with me. I am deeply broken, but I am not irreparable, and neither are you. A dear friend of mine shared this quote many years ago that I pull out and read from time to time. It reminds me to accept me, love me, junk and all. The best gauge of how intimately you understand God and his kingdom lies in your response to your own brokenness. I choose to respond to my own brokenness with love for myself and others. Because of Jesus, I am worthy. I am worthy of being loved, and so are you. I am not only enough, I am more than enough, and so are you. Right. Thank you so much, Randy, for your courage. I'm going to um, socially distancely pray for Randy <laughs> and, and pray for us, and then we're going to worship the God who is constantly involved in our lives and makes us more than enough. So let's pray. God, thank you for Randy. Thank you for uh, her willingness to share her testimony, her story of God at work in her life. Uh, thank you for how you've used her pain, her joy, her honesty, 
all the different people who have had an impact on her to help her along this transformational journey from being a little girl who believed she was not enough to now being the beautiful, strong woman she is who knows deep down to her core that because of Jesus Christ, she is more than enough. We pray for her marriage with Jesse. We pray for their life together as a family. We pray for Rendy's beautiful, humble, honest leadership of the children's ministry here at Orchard Hill Church. And we're so grateful that she calls this place home. And I want to take a moment to pray for all of those who were touched by any part of Rendy's story. Folks who are here who have been divorced or who are going through a divorce or who have ever had somebody say to them, I see you differently now because you are divorced. God, do your healing, empowering work in all of those people. I pray for any kids here who have been or are being bullied that they would find a safe ally to help them with that. I pray for blended families, for grandparents who love their grandkids, for single moms, for all of the people who heard something in Rendy's story and thought to themselves, that's me, and also thought to themselves, maybe God can touch that hard place in my life too. God, in your mercy, in your goodness, in your kindness, will you reach into every single person's heart who heard Randy's story, and will you begin, God, to whisper to us, you are more than enough. You are more than enough. You are more than enough. Amen. Let's continue to worship with our voices. Mm-hmm.